smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're continuing our series, Frontline Sundays. Matt Waldron will be speaking to us from Genesis 28, verses 10 to 22, wherever we are. Here's Matt. We went to visit some friends uh, a couple few years ago now, and uh, uh, these friends are religious, but a different religion to uh, our family, uh, but, but devout and uh, trying to uh, relate to God. And uh, I know it was a few years ago because we had a, a child in uh, nappies at the time, and uh, you know, the time came when we had to change a nappy. And um, uh, from what I remember, Cheryl said, oh, I need to change a nappy, I'll just duck in this bedroom if that's okay. And the person whose bedroom uh, it was said, no, I pray in there. So that was, that was perfectly reasonable. I mean, we thought, oh, fair enough. I mean, we didn't know that, but that's, that's easy to understand. That's a place where you pray. That's a place where you uh, especially seek God's uh, power and guidance and so you don't want it contaminated by something as ordinary as uh, what's going on in this nappy. Fair enough. Uh, I read an article in the paper uh, last year that was about uh, the practice of uh, some Christians uh, on university campuses, such as this one, uh, walking up to people in uh, you know, the public places where uh, students hang out and asking if they can tell them about their beliefs in Jesus. And so, uh, you know, the article described the practice and, and that it's quite common and uh, interviewed some Christians about it and interviewed some people who are not Christian about it. And I was struck by uh, one of the people who's not a Christian who said that, uh, that they felt that this was really inappropriate, that uh, at a public university, this is a secular space. And so it's not appropriate to even offer to talk about religious beliefs. I thought that was really interesting. Traditionally, a secular space is an ordinary space where you can kind of do whatever you like. But he was saying, this is a special space, a space to be safe from God's presence and power and guidance, and he didn't want it contaminated with talking about God. Well, uh, One of the things we're going to talk about this morning, the big thing, is how we feel about the places we go, the ordinary places that we go. And asking the question, are we surprised? Would we be surprised to find God in those places? Jacob was surprised to find God in Luz. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He doesn't even call it Luz, uh, I think, in this passage. We're in Genesis chapter 28. And here, uh, Jacob is uh, essentially just going about his business, though if anything, it's worse than that, because uh, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Uh, God promised to restore blessing to the world through Abraham and his family. He said he'd start with Abraham. I'll be your God. You be my person. I'll bless you, and uh, we'll, we'll build things up from there. And so Jacob has been born into this family. He has, uh, there's been a, a word from God that Jacob is going to be the kind of uh, front runner or leader of this uh, blessing. Uh, uh, his father has uh, 
not deliberately uh, pronounced the blessing over Jacob, but now because of his brother Esau's jealousy, basically Jacob got that blessing by trickery, Jacob is fleeing for his life. And uh, so that raises a question, well, is he now walking away from the promise of God's blessing? What's going to happen? So it's kind of ordinary life at its worst. And so uh, Genesis uh, chapter 28 uh, from verse uh, 10 again. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, we know from the rest of the context it's Luz, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. So why did he stop there? That was just as far as he got before it got too dark to keep going. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Uh, That's just what you did. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Uh, There above it stood the Lord. So just so you you get the kind of picture, uh, the normal way people thought about life in uh, these times was they thought of uh, the world as kind of, you know, where we live, but there's this kind of spiritual world that we kind of can't directly see or access, but it's kind of involved. And so a common metaphor for that was to say, well, the divine realm is up there in the sky. Uh, But that doesn't mean they think it was literally up there. Perhaps some people did. But the point is it was kind of connected all around the world. And the typical uh, belief was that different gods kind of hovered over different countries and that kind of stuff or different geographical features or whatever. Anyway, so he has this vision of a stairway in which uh, angels are going up and down on the stairway and he sees uh, the Lord God at the top of the stairway, Yahweh at the top of the stairway. So he is going to interpret that as, well, this is a kind of connection point for the spiritual and our world. So verse 13, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So that's the promise God gave to Abraham, just summarized in a nutshell. I'm giving that promise to you, his grandson. Verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So that's all the promise to Abraham. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. So the point of God's message to Jacob is, yes, I'm still keeping my promise to Abraham by keeping it to you, even though you're leaving the land, I'm going to go with you. I'm not just a God who's stuck in one place. I'm a God who's going to go with the person he has promised to bless But Jacob doesn't really get the point. Look at verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, 
which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Well, even though he hasn't really got the full quid, he does get something out of it. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So he half gets it. God's promised to be with me. That means I'm his special person. He's my God and he's promised to bring blessing to the world through our family and uh, I'm up for that. So that's good. But did you notice how awesome is this place? Wow, I thought this was just an ordinary place and actually it turns out it's a special, spiritual, sacred place. But that's not what the text says. The text says it's just where he happened to stop. And God turned up because God had a promise to the guy who happened to stop in this place that he happened to stop. And so as you go through and you, you read the rest of the story of Jacob, you know, God does keep his promise to uh, bless Jacob, blesses his work. He's very prosperous as a farmer. But Jacob, Jacob is not living for God and his blessing. At least to start with, it seems pretty clear that Jacob is living for Rachel, the beautiful young woman that he happens to see when he turns up in Haran. I don't know if you remember the story. He turns up and he starts working for his uh, uncle and he says, well, look, uh, and his uncle says, what, you know, what can I pay you? And he says, I'll work seven years for you if you'll let me marry your daughter, Rachel. And the Bible tells us the time just went like that for Jacob because he was so in love with her. Uh, the thing that made Jacob's work uh, pleasant and enjoyable and productive for him as an experience was him living for this beautiful woman, which of course turned out to be a disaster if you put anything in the place of God. But God still fulfilled his promise to work through his work and uh, bring fruit to other people and fruit for Jacob and fruit for his plan in the world. So that, that, that raises some questions, doesn't it? Who does God promise to be with? And how do you make the most of that kind of promise? I imagine uh, by now, if you don't want to see the movie Frozen, that would be the only reason you haven't seen the movie. It's been out for a few years now. I think an excellent movie, but uh, there's a great character in that called Olaf, who's the talking snowman who likes warm hugs. And uh, Olaf, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing just for this one scene, I suppose you could YouTube it, uh, where Olaf the snowman uh, sings a song about how wonderful he imagines summer to be. And of course, the, the problem is that snowmen don't survive summer. Well, there, there comes a point in the movie where he encounters summer and uh, he's magically given his own personal flurry. So this kind of, uh, kind of bit of winter weather that just hovers over him wherever he goes. So he can walk around in summer and he's fine because he's got his bit of winter weather with him wherever he goes. Well, that, that's what it seems Jacob has failed to grasp. God didn't appear to him and give him this vision to say, this is a special space. Make sure you come back here. 
this particular bit where you're sleeping. Or this particular rock that you've used as a pillow, this is a magic rock. That wasn't the message. The message was, I've promised to be with you, and I'm going to be with you wherever you go, and I'm going to bring you back to fulfill my promise to give you this land, not this holy campsite. Right? The, the kind of sacred space of God's presence is going to go with Jacob wherever he goes. And Jacob doesn't seem to have his attention on that. I mean, that's incredible. That's amazing. Instead of, so, so in this space that he thinks is holy, he says, well, here I'm going to make a big deal of God. And when I come back here, I'll make a big deal. But then when he goes off, he kind of just goes off and doesn't make as big a deal of God. But God is still with him and, and pouring out his blessing on him. But Jacob doesn't make the most of it because he thinks he's left God back there. He doesn't think God's as special over here as he is over there. So who has God promised to be with and how would you make the most of that? Well, the promise of uh, God to Abraham to bring blessing back to the world through his descendant is fulfilled through his descendant, Jesus. So we see in John chapter 4 where uh, Jesus is speaking much more clearly than me. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus uh, speaks to a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were, uh, if I can use a fairly crass term, uh, the half-caste Jews. I realise that's an offensive term, but that's how the Jews viewed them. Uh, But not Jesus. Uh, He goes and uh, hangs out with this woman uh, to get a drink at the well and gets talking with her. And uh, she's aware of sacred spaces, of special places to experience God's presence. So I'm just going to read from uh, verse 19. Uh, We'll just jump in partway through the conversation. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, ancestors worshipped on this mountain. In other words, this is our special place to seek God's presence. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. In other words, the woman's saying we really can't have a conversation about these things that's going to be constructive because we disagree about the basic reality of where you go and access God's presence. But look what Jesus says, verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now what's Jesus saying? Ah, there's going to be a new sacred space. Is that what he's saying? No, no, no. Verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Right? The promise to Abraham still stands. But verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So he says, the woman raises the question of, you know, we're not going to be able to agree on where the special place is to encounter God's presence. So what's the point of talking about anything else? And Jesus says, well... As it would happen, that whole system is about to be replaced. Now, the time has come, the time is coming and has now come, where the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit 
and in truth. And why is that going to happen? Well, basically because that's what God wants. And why is that what God wants? Because God is spirit. See, the idea of God being limited to one place is ridiculous as soon as you know anything about God. God is the one that created the whole world. How ridiculous is it to say he accidentally overstretched himself and he created some places he can't go now? Like, what a bizarre kind of idea that is, once you see who God is. You know, uh, God made some very high places, but he accidentally stacked up the mountains too high for him to go up there. God made some very deep oceans, but he accidentally made the oceans too deep for him to swim. Like, that's just ridiculous. So he says God is spirit. He doesn't have the kind of, he doesn't have a body. He doesn't have the kind of physical limitations we do. He doesn't have the kind of physical interaction with the world we do. So he's just not limited in those ways that we are. And so to think that there is some special place to experience God's presence because that's the best God can manage, that's the wrong way of looking at it. The reason there are particular spaces where God makes himself especially known is for our benefit because we've rebelled against God and not wanted to encounter his presence because we've sinned against him and got ourselves run out of God's presence. And so God in his kindness makes special arrangements to show us that he still wants a relationship with us, to patiently teach us despite our wrong ideas that we make up about God. And so what, uh, what does it mean in practice to be, uh, who are the true worshippers that worship in spirit and in truth? Well, let me just give you a, quick, a couple of samples from the rest of the book of John that lay it out plainly. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 32 to 33. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. That's Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, the rest of the story of John's Gospel tells us very plainly, Jesus is the one who's filled with the Holy Spirit, not just for his benefit, but so that he can baptize other people with the Holy Spirit, so he can cleanse other people with the Holy Spirit, so other people can have God himself in his spirit on them, cleansing them, renewing them, like their own personal flurry, wherever they go around. Or another one you might know, this is a memory verse, John chapter 14, uh, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The fullness of truth, particularly the truth about what life's all about in relationship with God, that truth in Jesus. Jesus is that truth. The way you get what life's all about, the way you get a relationship with God is Jesus. The true worshippers, it's time for them to worship in spirit and in truth. That is, for Jesus to be the one that we trust in. So we have a relationship with God where God is present with us personally in the person of the Holy Spirit all the time. 
if you think about it, why do people go to special spiritual places? Why do people go to special sacred places? Why do people go to temples? Well, certainly if you think about the ancient world where they were kind of more uh, honest with themselves about what they were doing, people went to temples to seek divine power and divine guidance. They were the big things. They wanted divine power to either make them more successful, make their business more successful, or to deal with some problem, maybe heal some sickness or whatever. And they went for guidance. You know, what should I do? Which decision should I make? Uh, Which business should I buy? Whatever it is. But Jesus says, the time has come for true worshippers to worship in spirit and in truth. The time has come for people everywhere to hear about Jesus and turn and trust in him and know that in him they have the spirit and truth, that they can call on God's power in prayer, they can ask God for guidance and wisdom and be confident that God grants it because of his kindness and love in Jesus. What difference does that make? Well, as we saw last week, God promises to work through his people. So if you're trusting in Jesus, God has promised, this is his plan, to work through you to make a difference in the world, to make the most important difference in the world. And God did that with Jacob, but Jacob seems to be, have been kind of oblivious to it, and he just missed out on making the most of that. Can I ask you how you feel about the places you spend most of your time? Um, it doesn't have to be a superstitious thing, but we have feelings about places, don't we? If you, uh, you know, if you were the kid in school who only ever went to the principal's office to get in trouble, then when you went to the principal's office, that place would have a bad feeling for you. And so, quite naturally, uh, different places can have different feelings for us. I was at a seminar last year, and uh, uh, we were doing a, a session about, you know, looking for opportunities to read the Bible with people anywhere. You know, if, 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 if you can get someone's interest, offer to read the Bible with them wherever they want to. And one of the illustrations they, they used of this was someone who uh, ended up leading a Bible study group uh, in a brothel. Uh, you know, does that... F- now, now, obviously, it would not be wise for me to lead a Bible study in a brothel uh, because of my personal history of sin and syncretism. But, but there's no, the problem's not the place. The problem's not there's some magic place that God can't go and work and reveal his truth. Yeah? So how do you feel about the places you go? Uh, do you feel... Like some of these places are too hard for God or too ordinary for God or too specially anti-God or do you know the truth? Do you feel the truth that if you're going there, God's already there if you're trusting in Jesus? And if you're not trusting in Jesus... Uh, Don't you want that? Don't go looking out somewhere else to go, look, if I can find a special enough place, then I'll have a special enough experience. No, what you want, what you're looking for, is Jesus himself. He's all you need to experience God in all his fullness.
Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are not a God who's limited to some place or some time, but you're the God who created all things. And it's only because of our rejection of you that we don't experience that fully. Thank you that you sent Jesus to bring us back into the fullness of relationship with you. And thank you that he pours out the spirit, that he's the truth that we need, that if we're trusting in him, we can pray and know that your power is at work to look after us, that your wisdom is working in our minds to guide us. And so help us to look at the places where we go as places where you're at work because they're places where you are taking us. Amen.